Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the line of Cain and how it has impacted atheists today, especially those that are rich in Hollywood. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. That there would be a seed of the devil, and this seed was the line of Cain. The truth is man is created, and the truth is that we are to obey the Creator. The lie is, somehow, non-living matter, on its own, became living microorganisms. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue with our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Genesis series. Now, as you know, we use goats in our antibody-producing business. And for 10 years, while the business was growing, we had 300 goats all around our house. Some of you remember, some of you came, and I appreciate you not reminding me about it. But anyway, there I found myself as a Jewish boy from Los Angeles, West Los Angeles, all of a sudden a goat rancher in Lakeside. I don't think there were any other Jewish goat ranchers in Lakeside. We had, our family, had no idea how to take care of goats. Oh, it was so depressing. It was a very, very, very difficult time. The FedEx man would come, deliver, and we'd have a pile of dead goats. And it was a disturbing time. And we couldn't figure out how to keep these goats. I thought tomatoes grew on trees. That was the limit of my knowledge. They, they grew in the produce section of bonds is where they grew. So realizing our dilemma of how far we were from uh, being able to take care of these goats, my wife immediately comes to the rescue and she orders the Dairy Goat Journal. Now somehow, I never read that before, and every issue that came every month, she would read every article and underline and highlight the points to it so we could become an expert and stop having these goats die. Well, we were all down there, down a three-mile dirt road with our boys and uh, 300 goats, And one of the first things that we observed in our goat ranching experience was that horns on a goat were a very bad thing. (laughs) The boys and I were getting injured by the horns and the goat horns. And the goat horns were goring other goats. And the chain link fences were being destroyed by the goat horns. And the wood posts and the wood feeders were being destroyed by the goat horns. And the wood post holding up their shelters was being destroyed by the goat horns. And the water pipes were being snapped by the goat horns. So it was, goat horns were a bad thing. And it was very depressing. And we kept on having baby goats. And baby goats were being born left and right. And all I could see was, oh no, more horns. And so that's when my wife came with the article from the Dairy Goat Journal that described how to dehorn the goat. Well, it looked easy enough, you know, and then in the back of the journal, they actually showed you where you ordered the goat dehorning iron. So we ordered that. UPS brought that. And then it explained to us, we followed directions. It said when the goats were little, yeah, definitely before a year old, very little, you could dehorn them. And so we studied the article and so forth. And then came the big day. And I was going to dehorn my first goat. And we had a ranch hand helping. And I remember it very well. So we used this blowtorch to heat up red hot this little tip on the goat dehorning iron brass. It was red hot. It was a ring. 
And I told the ranch hand helping me, I said, you better hold that goat really tight. Otherwise, we're both going to get branded. <laughs> and so, so the, and I was, I remember my hand was shaking. And I was shaking as I took that first red hot iron and just pushed it around his horn bud. That's what I did. And first there was the sound of shh, like that. And then there was the yell of the goat. That was very distinctive. And then the smoke started to come off of his little head. And I thought I was going to pass out. (laughs) And uh, it was very traumatic. A lot of drama. But you get used to it. We had a lot of goats. The goats never got used to it, but we did. And you just haven't lived till you've dehorned a baby goat, you know. (laughs) Anyway, so right side done. Then we went next to the left side. Very traumatic. I tried to tell the goat, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me, but uh, I couldn't do that. And so, and then we let the first goat go, and I thought, it looks so ridiculous because it has these two black round circles on his head look like eyes, an extra set of eyes. So, uh, but I'll tell you what, those goats never grew horns. (laughs) It worked. Why? Because we cauterized their horn tissue. Now, not only did the horns never grow, in that area, they permanently lost feeling in that part as well. Because where those brand marks were, they were insensitive. You could poke it with a needle, you could put hot or cold on it, they couldn't feel anything. They were permanently insensitive to any stimulation. That's the meaning of the word sear in 1 Timothy 4.2. Burning, branding, cauterization, rendering without feeling or insensitive. And so the constant speaking of lies is the cauterization of the conscience. That's why it's just hard in the beginning because the more lies that are spoken in hypocrisy, the more you hear there's no creator, the more you hear there's only evolution, the more you hear all that, the more it's the shh as the cauterization takes place on the conscience and the smoke rises. And the more public television and National Geographic and the Discovery Channel and Bill Nye the Science Guy and all of our public school systems keep proclaiming that the Bible is not true and science says that evolution is true and there's no creator, the more that goes on, it's just more shh and the smoke rises. And that there's an insensitivity now to feeling. They can't feel. And since there's no absolute creator, man doesn't have to answer to any creator. So then those Ten Commandments, such as adultery, well, before, you know, in church, we learned the word absolutely. You can put that in front of all of the commandments. Absolutely, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, now we can change it and just say ordinarily. Ordinarily, thou shalt not commit adultery. But in some cases, it's okay. And each time that happens, shh, and the smoke rises. And so, ordinarily, we uh, keep ourselves from physical union and marriage, but some special cases, well, our friends are doing it, we move in with each other, and, and with each decision like that, shh, the conscious gets seared and less sensitive. That's the line of Cain. That's the line of Cain, searing the conscious by speaking lies and hypocrisy. Without God is how you characterize the line of Cain. Without God. They are the seed of no Emmanuel, lo Emmanuel. That is, they have no God with us, is what they're saying. So what do you do? Because the problem is, is that we live in a world of the line of Cain. And they just seem to get more and more prosperous. I mean, um, 
Why are billionaires like Mark Zuckerberg and Larry Ellison and Richard Branson all avowed atheists? And why are famous people like Ray Romano and like Jack Nicholson and Brad Pitt, John Lennon and Catherine Hepburn, why are they all avowed atheists? Why? They prosper in the world. How come they seem to be sitting on top of the world? And they're all atheists. It's depressing. The Bible has an answer for us about this. And the answer is really if you just remember two numbers, three and seven. Just, that's all you got to do. Just remember two numbers because there's two psalms. Psalm 37, three and seven, and reverse it, Psalm 73. So turn first to Psalm 37, verse one. And it's in here's the Bible's answer for us as we try to deal with the prosperity of the ungodly. It says here in Psalm 37, 1 through 11, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut off like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the new day. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, yet a little while, it says, and the wicked shall not be, and thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall light themselves in the abundance of peace. Now do it down to verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he will not. He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I've been young, and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. God says, the problem for us with regard to the line of Cain, with regard to those who prosper in the world, who are without God, is we fret verses 1 and 8, is we envy, verse 1, is we get angry and wrathful, verse 8. And the solution is, God says, understand their situation of how temporary their good life is. Verse 2, soon be cut off, wither. Verse 10, little while they will not be. You won't even be able to find them. You go looking for them. By understanding their situation, we are to have compassion on them. Seek to bring them true riches, which is salvation from their sins. They're heading right down the middle of the road to hell. Right down the middle of the road to hell. Pray for them. They have so much money, so much fortune, but they're on death's row. And I got one question. How good can a meal be when you're on death's row? What is it that this world, what is it that you can tell the prison guards of all the restaurants in the world, go get this for me. How good can it be? Is it a Ruth Chris steak? Or what is it? How good can it be? Because you're on death row. And that overshadows. Feel that. Feel that. That 
lostness, that emptiness, and pray for them. Now, I mentioned on the list of atheists, Ray Romano, from the TV series, Everybody Loves Raymond. Anybody ever see that? Everybody loves, don't raise your hand. <laughs> so, he's worth over $100 million today. His show was on for nine years, and he walked away when it was all done with over $100 million. He had nothing when he came here from Queens, New York. And Steve Croft from 60 Minutes was at the last recording of his show, Everybody Loves Raymond. And that was in May of 2005. And Steve Croft told what happened at that last recording session. So here's the last recording session. And Ray Romano addresses everyone on the set. And of course he does. He thanks them for all their hard work during the run of the show. And, but they all wanted to know, Ray, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? What's next in your life? And so he told them. And he stood up there, and he had a tear in his eye. And Ray Romano reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a paper that he had kept for nine years. He said this, Nine years ago, I left Queens, New York with nothing. I was a struggling comedian. Today, I have succeeded, as Everybody Loves Raymond was the most popular CBS comedy. But nine years ago, when I left New York for L.A., my brother put this piece of paper in my pocket, and it's a scripture. And then he read from the paper, Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And he told the group these words, Now I'm going to go work on my soul. Who knew? What was going on inside Ray Romano's life? As the world saw him as the happy guy on TV named Ray and wildly successful, who knew that for nine years Ray Romano was carrying around with him a secret piece of paper that his brother gave him? Wouldn't you like to be that brother? Be that brother. Be that brother. Be that friend who sees someone taking a deep breath and saying, I'm going to go gain the world and put a piece of paper in their pocket like his brother did. Who knew that for nine years Ray Romano was worried about what that scripture said on that piece of paper? Who knew that for nine years Ray Romano was thinking to himself, I'm gaining the world and losing my soul? Who knew that was going on in him for nine years? TV audience, they didn't know. The colleagues, they didn't know. Who knew? Ray Romano knew. And God knew. And God allowed, graciously, Ray Romano to live during those nine years as he was in the process of gaining the world and losing his soul. And God has allowed Ray Romano to continue to live today. Now, why did God allow Ray Romano to live for those nine years and for today? For one purpose, because of what it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God will have all men to be saved. And come to the knowledge of truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 That God will have Ray Romano to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Because of what it says in 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Same verse. The Lord is not willing that Ray Romano should perish, but that Ray Romano should come to repentance. So pray for Ray Romano and the other atheists who have gained the world that they would not lose their souls. Pray that the gracious God would continue to put Christians in their paths, like his brother, who would proclaim the gospel 
and that they would turn with their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that, that these people would realize that a person does not work on his soul to save his soul. He simply surrenders his lost, sinful soul as a repentant sinner to the Lord Jesus Christ and receives the free gift of salvation. Tom, today you mentioned that a person does not work on his soul to save it. Now, what are some examples of the people today that we see out there that work on their souls to save it? Oh, there are so many. It's the whole emphasis of, I feel the need inside of me and I must improve myself. It's the whole course of self-improvement. I feel the distress inside, so I'm going to go for yoga to make me a better person. Or there's some sort of hidden things in my back of my mind and I'm going to get better by letting somebody hypnotize me. Or I'm going to go to this therapist who's going to improve me. Or I'm going to go to learn more. I'm going to get involved in education so I'll be better. Or I'm going to delve into a realm of spiritism to to help to improve myself. Now, some of these things, such example, for example, education, there's nothing wrong with anything in and of themselves, but the question is motive. What is the reason? And if the reason is, as we said, in order to improve ourselves so that we can save it, that's wrong. And the Bible has an answer for this. God said in Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So what he's saying here is that the first evil is to walk away from God. And the second evil is then to spend all of the effort trying to find help that only God can give in what God calls, he says, these pursuits, which are vain pursuits, or what God calls hewing out or digging out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Because he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, the Lord Jesus Christ says, for all of the problems in life, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need repair, and that's a great word, repair. And in Psalm 51.10, the word repair is translated here, renew, but it's really the word repair. And so he says in here, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew or repair a right spirit within me. That's the way to find salvation, is to come to God and to say, God, I don't have a clean heart. My heart is very dirty, but you can create in me a clean heart. And oh God, what I have destroyed, you can repair, and that repair that right spirit within me. Tom, you said that a person, instead of trying to repair themselves, as you pointed out, in order to be saved, should actually surrender to God. Now, practically speaking, what does it mean to surrender to God? It's very, very clear when we consider what happens in a warfare when a party is conquered and what do they do in the surrendering process. First, there is a declaration on the part of the conquered that they are conquered, that they are surrendering, that they acknowledge that they are surrendering, that they have been beaten. And so that is, in essence, like signing the articles of surrender, like happened on the deck of the USS Missouri. 
And there we have Romans 10.9, which are our articles of surrender, our declaration of article surrender, where it says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say confess with your mouth Jesus, but confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. In other words, to speak and to tell others, he is my Lord. That is a declaration that a person has signed the articles of surrender. Second, there is a laying down of the weapons. And some cases, some cases, the defeated party will actually come and throw their 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 rifles down in a big pile. This has the parallel for us in First Corinthians six nine through eleven, where it speaks about weapons of warfare that we had against God, the weapons of our rebellion against God, and it speaks about them as our acts. And it says, Know you not that the, run, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither, and here come the weapons of warfare against God, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of, them, of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. See, that long list are all the weapons that we took, that others take, to shake the fist in front of God and to be at a warfare against him and to rebel against him. But verse 11 says, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So when we give up those things that are listed there, when we give up fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, thievery, drunkenness, etc., that's in essence throwing down the weapons of our warfare against God. Then the third step is when a person declares himself as a servant to the conqueror, to his conqueror. And here we see as a picture of that the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, where it says about Paul, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. When Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was declaring himself as a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ who had conquered him, and he was declaring himself as his servant when he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And then the last part is really the follow-through, where the actual defeated defeated army will serve their new masters. They do serve their new masters in actuality. And that we see in 1 Samuel 12, 20. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And you know, it is said that sometimes the most loyal, the most dedicated, the most fierce fighters in an army are those who were the conquered ones, of those who were the enemy in time past and are now have joined the new army. And so it's not just enough to say, oh, Lord, uh, I give myself to you and I receive you as my Savior and my Lord, not just to say it, but then to follow through with him being the Lord. That's why Samuel said, serve the Lord with all of your heart, not with part of your heart, not sometimes, but all your heart, 
all the time. And so that's what he meant when he said, and Samuel was acknowledging here, that yes, you were rebels against God. And yes, you did sign the articles of surrender by saying that you wanted to serve God. And yes, you have laid down your weapons when he said, fear not, you have done all this wickedness. But he said, now declare yourselves, not only declare yourselves the servants to God, that the Jewish people, Israel, should declare themselves the servants to God. But he says, go ahead and do it from here on out. And that's a day-by-day effort on our part to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to say it with our mouth, not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And walking the walk is to serve him with all the heart. That was the advice that that the Lord gave through Samuel of how the Jewish people were to now serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a lost Jewish friend, neighbor, coworker, relative, or someone that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel? How about even a lost Gentile relative? We can help you to reach them with the gospel by giving them a Tom Cantor DVD or testimony booklet. So call us today, 1-800-247-3051, and we can get that into your hands. 1-800-247-3051. Millions of copies have gone out around the world. 1-800-247-3051 for a Tom Cantor testimony DVD or booklet. You can reach a lost relative, especially a lost Jewish person that you may know. You can also call us for the February resource of the month, Tom Cantor's new DVD called What is a Jew by Choice versus a Jew by Birth. Call us, 1-800-247-3051. 3051. That's 1 800 247 3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go to israelrestoration.org. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow.